But it's good to see you guys this morning. Um, we were online only last week, and we started a series uh, called Spiritual Habits. And we're going to continue in that. And this, this idea really is um, what are our spiritual habits? Spiritual habits are this idea of spiritual disciplines, um, that we have these spiritual disciplines or these habits of, of, of prayer, of scripture reading, of community coming together and worship. Uh, these are things that we do. Uh, and so as, as part of the body of Christ, um, we get, this, uh, we get this, this opportunity to grow as people. We get an opportunity to encourage one another. Um, I think it's important that uh, we get a chance to do that, and we get to do that on a weekly basis. We get a chance to encourage each other on a weekly basis. That when we come together, it's not just so that we can do something religious. It's so that we can do something relational. It's not just so that we can say, hey, we came to church and we were in a place and, and we did something and we checked off a box. No, what we're doing today is we come together to help speak life to each other. We come together today to be able to sing and be able to declare God's word. And so that's what we're going to be looking at uh, again today. We're going to be looking at this idea of spiritual habits. Now, uh, have, have any of you guys ever done anything dangerous? Yeah. It's, you know, uh, mo- a lot of the men, men, men usually do stuff dangerous, whether we do it, uh, you know, by choice or whether we do it unwittingly. Sometimes, you know, we do things and we say, oh, man, that was kind of dangerous. I didn't realize it was going to be, you know, I, I remember I was wiring a plug one day, and I'm not an electrician. Uh, and it was, it was uh, the dryer plug, and uh, flashes of light began to flash all throughout my house. And Raina was two, two rooms away. And she's like, what are you doing? Whatever you're doing, stop, right? And, uh, you know, so I, I have fried a few, uh, a few wires, and uh, I learned the hard way, you know, uh, about some of this stuff. Sometimes we do things that are dangerous. Sometimes we do things that uh, may not be the smartest thing in the world. I remember when I was a kid, I had a go-kart now. These days, everything is safety, 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 right? You know, and so the go-karts they have today are not like the go-karts that I used to ride when I was a kid. The go-karts that they have today are, they have roll cages, and they have airbags, and they have parachutes, and they have, you know, bumpers, and they have, you know, all kinds of stuff around them to make sure that nobody gets hurt. Also, to make sure nobody has fun, right? But I remember the go-kart that I had, it didn't have any of that stuff. It was just open air. It was like basically a piece of sheet metal that somebody had bolted uh, a Briggs & Stratton engine to it and put some four wheels on it and said, go, buddy, go, right? And that's all I wanted to know. And so as a kid, you know, growing up, I would watch uh, different shows, and one of the shows that I would watch uh, was the Dukes of Hazard. And the Dukes of Hazard. Anybody remember Dukes of Hazard? Dukes of Hazard. Uh, they would do these jumps and stuff in the car, right? And and I thought because I had a go kart, you know, I could do the same thing. And they had this one stunt that they would do where they would drive the car sideways on two wheels. And I got this idea one day. I said, I'm going to do that. I am going to do that because I have a go kart. And I have a steering wheel, and I have gasoline, and I can make this happen. 
And so I got out there, and I don't know where my parents were at. You know, where, <laughs> what, was, what were my parents thinking? I don't know, right? At that, that point in time, they, we didn't. We didn't think about it, right? And so I, I, got a, uh, I got some plywood, and I got some cinder blocks, and I created myself a ramp, a ramp just wide enough that, the, that my tires would be able to hit it and go up sideways. And so I, I found a place uh, to do this, and my dad was pastoring a church here, actually in the Savannah area, uh, over in Bloomingdale. And so I had the church parking lot to do this in, which was amazing. I had this big space to do this in. And so I set this up out there by the church parking lot uh, to, to this ramp to hit this thing, and I kept hitting it. And, and it was like I, I, I wasn't hitting it just enough that I could, I could get it up on two wheels. I never got it to do it. Thank God I never got it to do it because I'd have probably flipped that thing over on my head, right? And I think about some of the dumb things that I've done, some of the dangerous things that I have done and experienced in life and been a part of. Now, um, tomorrow we celebrate Martin Luther King Day. Tomorrow is, uh, we, we observe that day. And uh, I was reading um, one of his sermons last night, and it was a sermon that he preached on April 3rd, 1968. And if uh, that date is the day before he was assassinated. And so the, this April 3rd, uh, 1968, he preached a sermon uh, that night called, I've Been to the Mountaintop. And in this sermon, he used this phrase. He said this. And if you, I think I gave you this quote for you to put it up. Um, he said this. He said, let us develop a kind of dangerous unselfishness. Let us develop a kind of dangerous unselfishness. Now, I know when you think about being dangerous, you don't always include this word of unselfishness with that, right? It just seems like they don't go together. Uh, it seems like maybe we should say selfish, you know, that's, that's, that could be dangerous. But what is dangerous unselfishness? And so in his message, he, he talks about a passage of Scripture, uh, and that's where we're going we're gonna to go to today in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, and uh, beginning in verse 25. This is a very familiar passage. Even if you're not uh, a church person, you probably have heard about the story of the Good Samaritan. And uh, in this message that he preached that night, um, he talked about this, this good Samaritan person and this dangerous unselfishness that this good Samaritan exhibited. And so that's kind of where I want us to go this morning. If, if you've got your Bible, let's go to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, um, beginning in verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he desiring to justify himself. Have you ever been there? When somebody has, you know, they, 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 they're kind of right there, but maybe then they just kind of overplay their hand. <laughs> you should have just stopped right there. Uh, he, he, he pushed it just a little bit farther. And he goes on. And he, he wants to 
justify himself, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, isn't this just like Jesus? Somebody asks him a question, and Jesus never gives them a straight answer. Jesus launches into a story. My wife hates it when I do this. She says, would you please just say yes or no? You know, uh, she always gets on and she says, you never, look, I'm just, Raina, I'm just being biblical here. I'm just being like Jesus, all right? So give me a break. But Jesus launches into this story that this man did not ask for. And he says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. And now by chance a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And so likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had spalachnon on him. He said, well, that's not the word that they use there. That is not the English word that is used there, but that is the Greek word that is used there. And I'm going to come back to that in just a second because it's such a fun word to me. I want you to say that with me, spalachnon, one, two, three, spalachnon. Isn't that fun to say? All right, so just hang on to that. That's, that's that word translated as compassion, that he went and had compassion. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer looked and said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. I want us to look at this story um, this morning. There's a guy by the name of Skip Moen who is a theologian. And this is what Skip, Skip Moen says about this story. He says, this story teaches us that citizens of the kingdom, God's kingdom, are those who act with unreserved compassion for others regardless of the cost or the consequences. See, what we may not see on the surface of this story, we say, well, why didn't the priest and why didn't the Levite help? They, they, they were actually the church people, right? They are the, the religious people, the, especially the priest who is, uh, who is tasked with the special, uh, special uh, opportunity and, and job of leading God's people in worship. And who are the Levites? The Levites were actually the assistants to the priest. They were the ones who took care of God's house, took care of the utensils, took care of the temple. And so both of these people are really in, cha in, in, in charge of helping uh, people come to know God. They're, 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 they're in charge of helping people experience God uh, through worship. And this, this person that is the Samaritan. Uh, this story, as Jesus is telling it, it, it would have been a story that would have stood out and like, oh, man, a Samaritan? Because Samaritans were people that the Jews would not um, have really, uh, you know, had much dealing with. Uh, they, they, were, they were basically pushed off. They were, Samaritans were, were considered uh, half-breeds in, in a sense. And so uh, there was this 
basically this racial hostility between these two groups. And the Samaritan who really probably would have been in most stories that people, if this story was told by someone else, probably would have been the person who would have walked on the other side of the street. This would have been the person that if anybody else was telling the story. But Jesus takes the story and flips it on its head and says the people that you would expect to help didn't help. But mercy came from the place that you never expected it to come from. And this Samaritan was the one who had compassion. And let's go back to that word for a second. That word compassion is the word splachnon. And, and what does that mean? Um, basically, the word splachnon means it's a gut-level reaction. Have you ever had that? Have you ever had this gut-level reaction to something that when you saw it, you knew, i, I got to do something. I, I have to. You are moved uh, not just in your emotion, but you're so moved in your emotion that you have to move physically and do something. And that is what this word means. This word does, doesn't mean that he took pity on him, but it means that he was so moved by what he saw with this man who had been beaten that it moved him at a gut-level reaction. And so this gut-level reaction is, is this, this feeling that I've got to act, I've got to do something. He could not ignore what was going on. See, this morning, what I want us to look at is this idea of this dangerous unselfishness. And what was Dr. King talking about in dangerous unselfishness? This idea that, hey, you know what, that we are part of a community we are part of a community, and God has called us to live in such a way to be part of that community. See, what's important about us coming together is that God has a plan for us. It's important that we come together and sing and worship and encourage each other with Scripture. It's important that we do this and continue to do this because we grow spiritually. We, we begin to see things about ourselves. But we have to do this in such a way, and this is where sometimes maybe the church has gotten messed up because I think Dr. King was also the one who said that 11 o'clock was the most segregated hour in America, that you had white people that went to their churches, black people went to their churches, uh, people of other colors would go to their churches, and so we were all split up. Now, I would like to think that that's gotten better, but I don't know. I know for New Life, uh, I love New Life because of the diversity that we have here. I believe that's one of our strengths. I believe that's one of those things that we can look and say, God, never let that change. And this is why I believe that, because I, I, I believe that we need community and we need diversity in the community uh, because of a couple reasons. Uh, one reason is because Jesus commands it. <laughs> it's biblical. Uh, another reason is even more functional. It, there was a, a study done by MIT in 2014 on workplace diversity. And this study done by MIT, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, um, did this study. And what they found in this workplace diversity study was that they had these different groups. They had groups who were more homogeneous. Uh, they everybody looked alike. They kind of uh, acted alike. They kind of had the same, you know, the, the same backgrounds. Uh, then they had these groups that had more diversity. And what they found was this: 
that the groups that were more homogeneous, that were the same, um, they these 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 groups they developed social capital. And what is social capital? Uh, social capital is this: that these groups that were that were the same, they were more homogeneous. They looked alike. They were happier. They were more comfortable, and they were more cooperative. Right? You said, well, where are you going with this? Uh, you know, if, if we're supposed to be diverse, but you're telling me that these groups that were the same, they were actually more comfortable, they were happier, and they were more cooperative. But one thing that the study found that was a twist on that was this. They also found that they were less effective. That these groups did not actually hit their target goals. That the groups that actually hit their target roles uh, were were the or goals were the ones that were more diverse, and so that leads us to this first point that I think that we can come to, and it says this: that same breeds bias. That when everything is just the same, everything's just the same. We look the same. We sound the same. We're from the same background, the same color. That it makes it, we're comfortable in that. Think about this, guys. Think about this. Think about this in the sense that what has happened in churches that, and, and I've been to a lot of these churches, that, that everything is just the same. We're comfortable with that, right? Because people look like us. They sound like us. We're comfortable in that. And, and maybe we, we cooperate a little more. But has the church been effective? I actually think the church has stumbled in a lot of ways over the years. I think the church has been less effective because we have traded uh, what God has commissioned us to do for comfortable. We have traded what God has commissioned for us to be for, you know what, well, I, I'm, I'm just happier in this sense. And so when this happens, we stop being who God has called us to be. And, and, and it's not even just from a biblical standpoint that even the world that you know, it has nothing to do with church or God in these groups that MIT was looking at in the workplace. They found that even these homogeneous groups were less effective. What they found was, was this, um, that, uh, that they, we have to pursue uh, things that kind of make us uncomfortable. We have to pursue uh, maybe relationships that, kind of rub us the wrong way in a sense that sometimes we don't always think alike we don't always look alike we don't always sound alike maybe there there are people that you know we I just man I just you know I just don't like I just want to be around people who are like me I get that I get that sometimes you know sometimes I just want to be around people who are just like me but that doesn't mean that I'm going to be the Ryan that God wants me to be if I acquiesce to that it means that I am choosing comfort over what God has commissioned me to do. Let's go on. So if they found that these homogeneous groups are happier, they're more comfortable, they're more cooperative, but they're less effective. Eric Larson, uh, Eric Larson is a writer for Forbes magazine. This is what he said. He says, decisions made and executed by diverse teams delivered 60% better results. So what is God calling us in the church? This idea that, you know what, maybe there are things that we need to not make those trade-offs for comfort. Maybe there are these things that, you know, we just don't need to uh, make those trade-offs because it makes me happier. 
not just because I'm happy doesn't mean I'm being the person that God wants me to be. I can go out there and commit a lot of sin and feel like I'm happy, but I'm miles away from being the person that God wants me to be. So if the same breeds bias, then different breeds empathy. And that's what we want. We want people to be empathetic and say, you know what? That spalachnon. You get that spalachnon feeling. You get that feeling that I just can't let something go. I just, you know what? I just can't move from this. I've got to react. I've got to do something about this. And so I believe that's what God is calling the church to do. God is calling the church to be a church that we get uncomfortable with our comfortableness. That we get to a place where we say, you know what? Maybe God's calling me to some awkward relationships where we don't always look alike. We don't always sound alike. We don't always have the exact same thoughts. But maybe God's calling us to be in those relationships where the heart is the same. You know what? That our heart is we want to see Jesus lifted up. We want to see Jesus glorified. We want to see Jesus raised up above all things. And when I do this, it's going to bring me into, uh, into the sphere, into the relationship of other people that may not look like me, that may not sound like me. So empathy is the result of difference coming together, that we can come together and say, okay, hey, all right, God, if you have brought people together, they love you, but maybe we don't look alike. Maybe we don't sound alike. How can I see it from their way a little bit better? Tony Green. Any of you guys know Tony Green? Tony's, Tony's one of the elders here at the church, right? And Tony says, says this to me all the time. He, he, loves, he loves to say this. And if he was here this morning, uh, he would probably have said this. He says, Pastor, you know this? He says, this church makes me uncomfortable in a good way. I love that. I love that because I get it. He says, this church makes me uncomfortable in a good way. That when he comes here, that there are relationships, that he's, uh, he's with people who, you know what, they want to love Jesus like he does, but, but maybe we have different thoughts on things. Maybe we have different backgrounds that we come from and we see things differently. And he says, Pastor, that's what I love about this church is that we can come together, but you know what, it challenges me. This church challenges me in some of my thinking. This church challenged me in some of those things that maybe I've gotten comfortable in. And I believe that's it, guys, that some of the things that we just, maybe we've just gotten comfortable in. Maybe I've gotten comfortable in being casual with God. Maybe I've gotten comfortable in just being casual in my relationships and that we need people around us sometimes to challenge us. One of the things that I've been challenged as a pastor over the last year is trying to figure out how do I keep people and a church pointed to Jesus when it seems like everything in the world is trying to pull us apart. It seems like every week there's something new that is happening either on the news or on social media or there's a new strain, there's a new variant, there's a, there's a new something that is designed to try to pull us apart. And I talk to pastors all the time, friends of mine, and we're so frustrated in, in this that we're, we have this goal of trying to bring people to Jesus, trying to bring, not to make us all look the same and sound the same, but to have the same heart, the same spalachnon, the same compassion to be moved that Jesus be lifted up. 
And it seems like everything around us is working against us. And so I need God. I pray, God, give me strength. And some of you were in this Bible reading plan with me, and I'm praying these prayers. I'm typing them out in the morning. God, this is my prayer this morning. Help me to give clarity to those people that I speak to. God, help me to, to, to motivate someone to move beyond their comfort zone. And so for us, you know, God wants us to move beyond that. He wants us to move to these places where we see difference. We see different faces different accents, different backgrounds. See, we have to pursue different. The MIT study showed that the homogeneous teams felt great during the process. And yet they lost. The, the more diverse teams felt miserable during the process, but pressed on and met their target. You know what that tells me? That this thing that we're doing here, guys, if you're watching online, this thing that we're doing here, this thing of church and relationship, it's not easy. Some people think, well, I'm just going to walk in and, you know what, I'm just going to walk in and sit down. That's the easiest thing in the world. It's easy like Sunday morning. Isn't that the song, you know? But I think Sunday morning is not easy. And I think Sunday morning shouldn't be easy for us. That Sunday morning should be that thing that pushes us out of our comfort zone, that challenges us and says, God, are we being the community? Are we being the community that you've called us to be? Are we, uh, are we reflecting spalachnon? That's this gut-level reaction to saying, God, things are not right and things need to change and I need to be pressed and I need to be challenged maybe in some of my thinking and some of the comfortable relationships that I've, I've, I've gotten around. So God, move me out of that. See, developing biblical community isn't easy, but it's worth it. It is worth it. What we do here is worth it. When we encourage one another, and you know what? I, I didn't know who was going to show up this morning, so thank you. Every one of you guys that's here, thank you so much. If you're tuning in online, thank you so much. Because what I want you to know is what we're doing, this is worth it. What's the church going to look like on the other side of all this? I don't know. God knows. And God's calling has not changed on us. God's calling has not changed on us. He didn't say, oh, no, there's going to be a pandemic in 20. We may need to change our calling. He says, no, he knew this. He's known this. The church has gone through plagues and disease all throughout. The church has had challenges all throughout history. And so the calling is still the same. This same message of Jesus is still to us that he's called us to be people with a heart, people with compassion, people who are willing to show mercy and not just get comfortable in who we are and where we are and just say, I'm, I'm just going to be casual with God. He has not called us to casual Christianity. He has called us to an uncomfortable place, a place that is challenging to us. But when we meet that challenge and when we show up for the challenge, we can be effective in the challenge. And so I believe this. Last thing is this. And then we're going to take communion. God's plan was always, was to always bring different people together through Jesus. That's his plan always been the plan the plan has been to bring different people together through Jesus and when, when you look even at Abraham all the way back in Genesis at Abraham 
one of the things that has stood out to me for a very long time about the story of God blessing Abraham. He blessed Abraham and he said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. And you are going to be a blessing. See, the blessing is never just for you. The blessing is never just for you. The blessing is always to overflow out of us. The compassion, the mercy is what is to overflow out of us. And so this morning they're going to sing a song and they're going to lead us in this and I'm going to come back here in just a second. And we're going to take communion. But if you will, will you stand with me this morning and let's, let's sing this together. Can, can you lead us in this? Lord, I come, I confess, bowing here, I find my rest, and without you, I fall apart, you're the one that guides my heart. 